Praise the Lord. Uh, good morning. My name is Jonathan Kindler. I'm a teaching elder here at Midtown and I've been here since 2012 and um, it's been such a blessing to, to minister alongside the people in this room. If you're, if you're new here, if this is your first time, you need to come back and hear our head pastor, Sam Miles, and hear him preach and uh, the mission that he has for our church. But today, uh, you are stuck with me. Um, so, praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. So, uh, recently I was um, reading an article about a man named Irvin Gordon, okay? On June 30th, 1966, Irvin purchased his Candy Apple Red P1800S Volvo, okay? Now, this is, he's had this for 57 years. You can see him. I got a picture of him here on the board for you. Uh, Irv still drives his Volvo to this day, every day, okay? He, he's covered an estimated distance of 85 to 100,000 miles a year, right? His longest drive was from New York to Vancouver, and over the years he's driven the equivalent of 120 complete circumnavigations around the world. This is like 12 trips to the moon, all right? This is the equivalent to uh, a long, long road trip. Irv holds the Guinness World Record for the highest vehicle mileage with over three million miles. Isn't that wild? Man, I have a, I have a, uh, like a 92 GMC pickup that I got when I was 16. I still have it, and it's like pushing 400,000 miles, and I thought I was doing good, but it looks nothing like Irv's Volvo. His is candy apple. Mine looks more like a jawbreaker, you know, when like the, you get all the layers off. You can see like the, the base layer. This was all achieved uh, without changing any of the mechanics of the car. And when he was asked, how'd you do this, man? How'd you, how'd you achieve such high mileage? He said, it's simple. Regular maintenance and repair. And as I was reading that, I was like, it kind of shook me. I was, it actually brought to mind uh, the passage in 2 Timothy where Paul was writing to his, his son in the faith. He was telling him in 2 Timothy, he said in verse uh, 7 of chapter 4, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Irv and his, Vol his Volvo have fought the good fight. They have finished their course. Many of us, when our cars get you know, less shiny, we just trade it in for a new one. And unfortunately, as Christians, you know, a lot of times we too, um, you know, we don't finish well. Over time, we are prone to let our relationship with God go into disrepair. And what I've observed in my own personal life, as well as my career as a marriage and a family counselor, that um, a lot of times there are passionate and good-intentioned Christians who, over time, have overlooked regular spiritual maintenance and repair. We are prone to blow past the check engine lights and all the things that our car is trying to tell us, all the things in our life that are trying to tell us that, hey, you should probably rotate your tires. You should probably change your oil. We find our own ways to manage the wear and tear that life, it takes on us. And at some point, often unbeknownst to us, our engine starts to burn a little bit of oil. You guys know what I'm talking about? Just things are just not running quite right. 
And before we know it, we are stalled out from what we can see, a life of disrepair. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to turn with me in your, in your Bible, if you have it, and if you have notes. If you don't have notes, raise your hand. We'll get those to you. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be in verse 8 through uh, 21. Here we find Paul addressing the church of Ephesus as they were navigating the hardship of a very similar adulterous culture as ours. They were, uh, good was being called evil as it is today, and evil was being called good as it is today, and Paul was charging them as he had done similarly to many other churches like he did in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Do not grow weary in well-doing. Why? Because there's something to reap if we don't faint. It's essential for us to consider this today because we too are prone to faint, to fall off course and even to abandon the faith. We are prone to get lost in the function of ministry, just doing good works, right? I signed up for ministry and I, I'm doing good work. A lot of times we, we hide our sin, right? This doesn't fit in with my path to leadership, the sin that's in my life. I don't know what to do with it, so I gotta, I gotta hide it somewhere. We are prone to be civilized, as our pastor Sam has been talking to us about, and to have it all together, to, to know our stuff, right? We know our stuff here at Midtown. And with this pressure, we let ourselves go into disrepair on the inside. And the outside still looks like Irv's car. So today we're going to be considering our spiritual maintenance and repair. We'll discuss maintaining our light as children of light and equipping ourselves with a protocol for reproving, which we'll jump into and understand. I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for this morning, this beautiful day. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to praise and worship corporately with the body. Lord, you are faithful. Lord, I pray you would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us today in your word. Lord, you have called us children of light. Lord, God, would you, would you give us eyes and ears to hear and see what that looks like in Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Follow along with me. For ye were sometime darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Verse 10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. To maintain our light, we need to, number one, acknowledge our identity. Your first blank is acknowledge acknowledge our identity. Paul gives us an incredible picture of the spiritual transformation that has been taken place on the inside. It's not that we were in darkness. That's not what it says. It says that we were darkness. It was our identity. We see in Romans 7, uh, 24, O wretched man that I am. O wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And now we see in verse 25, it says, thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, his sacrifice allows us to no longer be identified as darkness. 
But now our identity is, is light, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Like a light bulb without electricity, we were dark. A light bulb without electricity is useless. In fact, it's dangerous. It's just glass ready to break. And salvation through Christ alone quickened us. It made us alive. It empowered us as believers. Now we are enlivened to walk as children of light. Being light is our new identity. We have undergone a metamorphosis, a transformation, much like a butterfly, you know? Before a butterfly is what it is, it's this puny little caterpillar with these small little appendages, and it lives its entire life on one branch, right? But as it goes through transformation, this little tiny thing now can travel thousands and thousands of miles. I was in my backyard last night, and I saw this butterfly, and before I could get my son to see it, it was gone, right? They're made alive. Verse 9 and 10 tells us that we will now, uh, that we will now that we are living, now that we are living according to our light identity, it will produce the fruit of the Spirit. We'll know it. We'll know that we are living into our light identity when it's producing the fruit of the Spirit. It says in verse 9 that we will produce goodness. Okay, the fruit of the Spirit in action. That's goodness. Sacrificial love. Sustainable joy despite our circumstances. Peace beyond understanding. Long-suffering the insufferable. Does anybody have anyone that's insufferable? Long-suffering, the insufferable, gentleness in spirit, full of faith, humble and self-controlled. It also mentions righteousness. This is just to be right, rightness. A congruent character regardless of the audience, that we can be congruent, we can have integrity if we're walking in the spirit. It also mentions truth. This is conformity to the word and to the will of God. Our life can be congruent and have character Right? We can reflect a creator God and that he is good in our own life. And when our life does not amount to goodness, when it does not amount to righteousness and it does not amount to truth, verse 10 tells us that this will be proven. This will be proven out. This word proven means to discern. I want you to get this down. This word proven, it means to discern. It means to examine. It means to acknowledge what is genuine or not. If something is genuine or not, this is what it means to prove something out. And that is what we are here to talk about today. To know how we can maintain walking as children of light to assure that we stay up on our spiritual maintenance and repair. So throughout today's passage, Paul gives us what I'm calling protocol for proving, for examining, for being able to identify if what's on the inside is genuine or not. Verse 11 gives our, our, us our first protocol. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Our first protocol for proving is assessing our associations. Associations is your blank. Children of light do not associate with the fruitless deeds of darkness. We must have no fellowship because association, well, it, it leads to participation. 
When you're associating with something, you start participating with it. Psalms 1.1 Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the ways of sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. See, there's a progression here. Do you guys see it? There's a progression. If we start with an innocent stroll, and then we begin to linger, well, at some point we're going to sit down. All fellowship begins with small talk, right? So association leads to participation, and then participation leads to unification, whether you like it or not. 2 Corinthians 6.14, And be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with, with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? See, a lighthearted banter turns into innocent connection, which then can unify us to darkness. So the, the first conversation I ever had with my wife, okay, <laughs> was in the form of a question I said to her with a lot of confidence. I said, ahi tuna? And without context, that's strange, but I was, I was serving hors d'oeuvres at a wedding, and she was singing at a wedding, and uh, little did she know that her participation would lead to unification. <laughs> we have evidence down in Kidtown. We have two kids, unification, right? Man, I hope this, that's not a deed of darkness. I don't, it hasn't played out that way yet. The smallest participation can lead to unification. We need to be honest with ourselves about where, what, and who we spend our time on. Today we need to assess our associations. The word reprove in verse 11, it means to expose. We need to expose ourselves to what's true. We need to expose ourselves to the light. We need to bring back ourselves into the light, meaning we need to be honest about our fellowship. Where are you investing your time? Who are you associating with? What are you participating in? Who are you unified to, honestly? So throughout today, we're going to have some questions. You'll see them on your handout. And I, I want you to either answer them today, or maybe you can pull this handout throughout the week and just stand before the Lord and ask him these questions. The truth is these activities, you know, these deeds of darkness, uh, they detour us away from God's heart, slowly, subtly. A good, honest assessment, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, you can look on your phone, you can see how many minutes you spend on each app, right? It's kind of sobering to see how much time you spend on each app, but let's be honest with ourselves. What do we fellowship with? Next, Paul tells us in verse 12, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Our second protocol for proving is surrendering our secret spaces. Surrendering our secret spaces. As humans, we are prone to hide. We see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, And the Lord God called unto Adam, and he said unto him, Where art thou? See, 
God knew exactly where, where Adam was, but he didn't. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. From the beginning, we have been attempting to hide ourselves, to hide our sin. When this behavior becomes our default practice, we create secluded realms that have no bounds. You guys need to listen up. When you compartmentalize your sin, you grieve the spirit, prohibiting the spirit's access to convict you. We don't have ears to hear it because he isn't in the same compartment as us anymore. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Which opens you to a world of limitless deeds of darkness. It's unrestricted. There's no accountability with no light to shine on what isn't good. And we know this practice, don't we? It's the reason why we all have a junk closet at our house. It's the reason why we have that room where we just kind of, like when people come over, we just like shove everything to that room and we close the door, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? The, the problem with this is that whatever we shove in that closet or that room, it permeates. It permeates. So I used to play in a band um, and we would tour around and um, at the end of every tour, typically what would happen is the bands would start playing pranks on each other, okay? And we were, we were, we were, we were getting people. We, this band that we were on tour with, we pranked them so bad. And then they did this thing where they like turned the other cheek, right? They didn't prank us and it was like kind of messed up. We were like on edge for like a couple of days. And then they say, said goodbye to us and the, the tour ended on the west coast, like in, in the south somewhere. And so we had this long drive back to Atlanta where the band was from and we were making our way through the desert and into Texas and everything was fine. And then we started to smell something. And it was growing stronger and stronger. And if you, if you knew me back then or you saw the van, it was like, it was like a, this layered cake of stuff, you know, it was like, we couldn't find what was smelling. Got to the point where we were actually getting sick, right? Like opening the windows and throwing up out the windows. And finally we pulled over to rest stop and just drug everything out of the van. And there was like 15 plates of raw fish <laughs> baking under our sleeping bags and our clothes. It permeated to the surface, <laughs> big time. And this is what happens, right? This is what happens. This is what happens to our fathers in the faith that fall into sin. Man, do you hear about that pastor? Gosh, I can't believe they did that. They're, they're a pastor of a church. I can't believe they did that. They had that affair or they stole that. Can you believe that? Well, over time, association leads to participation, which leads to unification, which leads to compartmentalization which leads to permeantation. It permeates to the surface. We have to deal with secret sin strategically. We have to create a culture where we don't hide sin. When we fall into sin and don't reprove it, we create that secret space, Ephesians 4.26, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Verse 27, neither give place to the devil. Did you guys hear that? Neither give place to the devil. When we let the sun go down on the things that aren't of the Lord, we create a little compartment 
Here we form that compartment for the deeds of darkness, and there's no light. Verse 13 says that if we drag our secret sin into the light of truth, it exposes unfruitfulness of the fellowship and reestablishes our walk as children of light. So, I want you to ask yourself, honestly, what are you hiding? To achieve this, we have our third protocol for approving is taking sin seriously. Ephesians 5, 3 says, But fornication and, un- and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. So when we inevitably sin, because you will, we need to see sin as it is. That it is wicked that it is dangerous, and that it's offensive to God. This shouldn't be named among me. When we take sin seriously, we are turning on the light. We are exposing it for what it really is. We're uncovering the fish in the van. We're opening the doors and windows of our compartments and letting the light back in. So what doors? What doors need to be opened? So as we acknowledge our identity, right, this new identity, this light identity, because of what God has done in our life, it doesn't change the fact that we are very familiar with the darkness. And this past that we have is still very present, it's active and it's warring against us. And if we don't consider our associations, we don't surrender our secret spaces, and we don't take sin seriously, we can fall back into those old familiar ways on the inside. Those secret spaces can become our home, and we can be lulled asleep while we also silence the Spirit. We don't even realize it's happening. Paul gives us our next step for maintaining our light. In verse 14, he says, Wherefore, he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. To maintain our light, we need to awaken to reality. We need to wake up. Paul uses an Old Testament reference to encourage believers to wake up from their spiritual apathy and darkness. He says in he, he references Isaiah 60, verse 1, Arise, shine, for thy light is come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. This phrase, upon thee, it means to be beside, to be together, to be with, to be above, to be beyond, to be over. Man, this means that Jesus, his presence in our life is excessive. It's excessive. He consumes us. He surrounds us. He is always in immediate close proximity. He is with us. And because of this, we can arise and shine. We don't just arise. We also shine. Because the light is come. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the great commission. When I was a, when I was a kid, my mom would, I could hear her coming down the hallway in the morning. 
She would be singing, rise and shine and give God the glory, glory, rise. And like by the time she got next to me in my bed, it had gone up like five octaves and the pitch was just like cranked up. And I, it was so encouraging that I would just get up and worship. Like amazing. I, we went on vacation with my folks and I could hear my mom in the room, rise and shine. It's like haunting me, right? But we can arise and shine. This week I was listening to um, Pastor Brandon interviewing Pastor Kenny Morgan um, on uh, Quiet Times on the, the latest uh, postscript. If you have not listened to this episode, you have to. You have to. It, was, it rocked my world. Kenny pointed out this profound statement about the Great Commission. How we often subtly receive that the Great Commission is a command that he gives us, but that he tells us to go do it and, and we go off away from him. But that's not what he says. He says, go ye therefore, share the good news, and he concludes with Matthew 28, verse 20, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, amen. He said, we are going to do this together in relationship. Our fourth protocol for proving is arising with Christ. With Christ. This step is for you regardless of where you are today. You know, maybe you're here today and, and you're realizing that you don't have a light identity. You're still lost, maybe in darkness, and you can't say that you've ever walked as a child of light, and you cannot recall a time even that you've called upon Christ to bring you out of the darkness, I want to tell you that today is the day. Today is the day that you can arise and shine. God, the creator of the universe, loved humanity so much that he sent his son. Our sin has separated us from him, but because of his infinite grace and mercy, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. Do you guys know that we're separated from our creator without Christ? Our sin separates us. Sin is like a, it's an archery term. If you think about a, a target and the bullseye, bullseye is holiness. And our sin is the, is the distance between holiness and our holiness. We have missed the mark of holiness. Jesus lived a perfect sinless life and willingly sacrificed himself on the cross to pay the price for my sins and your sins. He died and was buried Yet on the third day, he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. Through faith in Jesus and his sacrifice, we can be forgiven, reconciled to God, and receive eternal life. Salvation is a gift not earned by our own efforts, but received by grace through Jesus. We are called to repentance, which is to just turn from our sin and follow Jesus. If that's you, please, Come talk to me. Don't leave here without considering this for yourself. Or maybe you're here today and, and you once walked in the light. Or maybe sometimes you're in the light. But maybe you're, you're tired. You've grown weary and well-doing. You have slowly, subtly lost your first love. And right now you are awakening to the reality of your unification 
with darkness and how you have compartmentalized darkness in your life. That there's these little pockets of pus, of death, of loss in your life. And it's permeating into every other part of your life. Today is the day to rise and shine. Paul puts it this way in Romans 13, verse 11. And that knowing the time that now is high time, it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. It is our protection. Brothers and sisters, we have to, we have to wake up Because the work God has called us to is of such significance that we cannot afford to be asleep at the wheel. Has anyone ever been driving late at night and, you know, your eyes, like, start to burn? You guys know what I'm talking about? So I told you about being in the band. Like, we would play a show, and then we go to dinner, and then we get on the road at, like, 1 in the morning, and we're all loading into the van, and... You know, I'm like, oh, I got this, guys. Don't worry. Everybody, everybody can take a nap. I'm going to drive. So you start driving, and your eyes start to feel heavy. <laughs> and then you do that jerk thing, and you're like, did I just fall asleep with all of my friends in the car? And you, like, try to keep it cool because your friend is awake next to you, and he's like, did you just fall asleep? And you're like, no, nah, man, I'm good. <laughs> I didn't do that. It's terrifying. And just, just a side note, if you do pull over and you get some sort of, like, energy drink or something, those little like five-shot energy things at the checkout, the math doesn't add up on those. If you take three all at once, it doesn't equate to 15 hours. You just feel insane for like two hours, then you just like <laughs> crash. It, they didn't do the math right on that. But the darkness of the night, it, it lulls you to sleep. You feel the the warm heat blowing on you. If you're Kenny Morgan, you, you have that smooth jazz <laughs> and in the background. And if you, if you ever rode with Kenny, it's like he's always got that smooth jazz in the background. And people, they fall asleep at the wheel. It's, uh, the CDC said that one in 25 drivers admit to falling asleep in the last 30 days. Falling asleep. It's the cause of 800 fatalities a year, 50,000 injuries a year, people falling asleep at the wheel. You know, it would be sobering to know the statistics of drowsy, comatose Christians. Lulled to sleep by the deeds of darkness. Good behaving believers, Bible study leaders, asleep at the wheel, carrying precious cargo of the good news of Jesus Christ, passing by every exit, missing every turn and opportunity. We need to wake up. Ask yourself, am I, am I a drowsy driver? Or am I a riser? As we continue, we find our final point for study. To maintain our light, we need to align with truth. We need to align with truth, a line is your blank. Verse 15 in our passage says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. 
Our fifth protocol for proving is watchfully walking. To walk circumspectly is to walk with exactness and diligence. We need to have both hands on the wheel. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 5 says, You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Have you guys seen those um, viral videos of people falling asleep at the wheel of their self-driving vehicles? This is happening. People have self-driving vehicles and they fall asleep. I was gonna show a picture of one, but I was like, man, maybe that's like somebody's cousin. Cause you can totally see them. They're just like, like <laughs> asleep and you can see their face. It's all over the news. People are sleeping on the highway, sleeping at the wheel. We cannot be sleeping as others do. And in fact, we have to be defensive drivers. You guys know what a defensive driver is? It's not someone who can't take a joke. It, a defensive driver is someone who is constantly being circumspect. For years, I, 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 drove a, I rode a motorcycle. I had to sell it when I met my, my wife. Um, it was kind of emasculating. She, she had a scooter, and she was like, you need to get a scooter. <laughs> so I got a scooter. We were still dating. If I was married to her, I'd be like, I'm riding my motorcycle. But she had a scooter. And I got one of those like guy scooters. It's got some like mud tires on it. So, but it was ridiculous because we'd ride around together. We tried to, and I was on my motorcycle, and she was on her scooter. It just it didn't work. <laughs> but when you're on a motorcycle or a scooter, you have to be a defensive driver. You are constantly looking for potential hazards. You're avoiding distractions. You're yielding and giving the right away when necessary. It only takes just a little moment of distraction. One time I laid my motorcycle over. Everything was fine and just all of a sudden I was on the ground. It can happen in just a moment. So are we being circumspect? Are we being wise? Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Our sixth protocol for proving is seeing time transactionally. Seeing time transactionally. Time is the only resource that is both finite and irreplaceable. Time is the only true currency that we have. Psalms 90 verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Our time is limited. We want to, Matthew 6, 20, lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor, nor dust nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our position must be John 9. Verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. The night is coming. Why is this? Well, the days are evil and the night is coming. So souls, like your family, your friends, your coworkers, souls are being lulled asleep by the cares of the world. As time passes, we're, we're actually losing ground. How are you spending your time? Verse 17, it says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Our seventh protocol for proving is conforming to Christ. Conforming is your blank. Conforming to Christ. 
God's will for our lives is not a mystery. It's not a puzzle. It's universal for all mankind that we would, Romans 12, present our bodies as living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's will is that we would be holy, and the only way that we can have access to this is for us to be like Christ. Romans 8, 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. This is how we can bring God glory. Practically, okay, conforming to Christ is seeing our life from God's perspective. We need to be able to see our life from God's perspective. This means through Christ and the Holy Spirit within us, we can co comprehend and discern God's thoughts and his intentions. This means through Christ, we can be transformed. We can glory in tribulation, Romans 5.3. We can be killed all the day long because we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, Romans 8.36 and 37. We can rejoice in persecution, Matthew 5.10. We can glory in our infirmities, our brokenness, our weakness because his power rests upon us. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, we could go on and on. So, do I, do I have Christ's perspective? Verse 18, and be not drunk with wine, we're in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Our eighth protocol for proving is being saturated in the Spirit. We need to be filled to our maximum capacity in the Spirit. This passage is clear that we will be full of something. You're gonna be full of something. God designed us to be filled. If we aren't filled with the Spirit, we reach for what is most accessible to us, to fill us. So for, for some, maybe that is to be full of wine. Maybe for others, it's, it's money to have, you know, the best stuff or the biggest toy or Maybe for you, it's the pursuit of happiness, right? To have the best experience. A lot of times for us as believers, it's to be the best Christian. Man, to, to be admired by your community. Man, did you see that guy? Man, he's just so loving. He's so humble. He's so sacrificial. It's like fills me up. Whatever your poison is, it will consume you. What's true is whatever fills us directs us. Isn't that, isn't that true? I mean, if you're full of wine, it directs you. What are you full of? The rest of our passage, it gives us three action steps. I wanna, I wanna leave you guys with some homework. Three action steps to being saturated in the Spirit. Actions for saturation, verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Number one, we need to be worshipful. We need to be worshipful. Being spirit-filled looks like spending time with God and His Word to the point of praise. 
When we spend time meditating on God's word with him, we begin to think like him. He reminds us of his truth. He reminds us of his faithfulness and his character. We spend time talking to him and being with him. It's a true friendship and fellowship. We make melody in our hearts because of the joy that springs from a deep relationship with him. I like what Brandon said on the, on the podcast. He said, there's a difference between doing taxes with your wife and going on a date with your wife. He said that on the last postscript. I'm like, man, isn't that, that's so true. It's like, we need to be spending time with God, not just receiving orders, not just checking off the list. This is not solely reserved for cor a corporate setting. Worship is not just for this space. This is our daily bread. We arise early in anticipation to rest in his presence. I have to get up early so that I can rest. You know this is working when your life exhibits the fruit of the Spirit. If you are saturated in the Spirit, when life squeezes you, what comes out of you is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. When I was six years old, uh, my family moved to Kansas City from Mississippi. And my, uh, you know, my grandmother, she still lived down there. So my sister and I, we would go down there every summer and spend you know, half the summer down there. And you know, at first, when I was there, I started with, I'd start picking up the mannerisms, that southern draw. You know. I'd like lost it all by the time I was a teenager. But just being there, being around it, I'd pick it up. I'd come home sounding like Matthew McConaughey, just like, <laughs> And my mom was like, and my friends were like, what happened to you, right? But it's true, isn't it? When we spend time with God in prayer and in the word, and when we are worshiping him, we become like him. Amen. We become like him. Your heart begins to look like God's heart. You care about the things that he cares about. You care about souls. You have an eternal perspective. You're concerned with His glory. So, do you, what do you care about? Verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our second action for saturation is that we need to be thankful. We need to be thankful. Being Spirit-filled looks like prayerfully praising God for everything in our life, everything. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. See, God gives good gifts based on his infinite knowledge and understanding. See, when we think about good, we think about feeling good. This, this was good because it felt good to me. And when something is bad, it's because it feels bad to us. That, that's not how God that's not how God thinks. God's definition of good far surpasses our finite perspective. Man, I would be in a world of trouble. I'd be in a world of trouble if, if I always got what I thought was good. Right? As a father, I'm seeing this, like my son, like he wants a lot of things that are not good for him. 
Therefore, we can give thanks for all things, for disappointment, for hardship, tribulation, blessings, failures, and success. We can glory in tribulation. Why? Because we know that produces patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. We can be grateful, 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 gratefulness. Somebody. Man, if I'm honest with you guys, I'm sorry, bro. I'm, I'm, it's embarrassing to say this. I did not like that song at first, okay? Okay, just hear me out. Okay, I did not like that song because it felt repetitive to me, okay? It was like, grateful, grateful, grateful. I'm like, oh, we're gonna be done, next song. Grateful, grateful. I was like, but, okay. The 600th grateful, it hit me. I was like, oh yeah, I have a lot to be grateful for. And I was humbled. So I did this thing when, I, when we played it the next time. I said, okay God, every time we say grateful, I'm just gonna let you bring something to mind that, that you've done in my life. Grateful, grateful my salvation, my wife, my boys, the hardships, my family, my, com- my community, my disappointments, the fact that I have a working body, that I have food, shelter. Man, when we thank God for everything, It aligns us with him and saturates us in the spirit. So you know that that's happening and it's working when you feel content. So what what are you grateful for? The final action step to being saturated in the spirit is found in verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Our final action for saturation is to be submissive. Submission is this world's cultural kryptonite. The concept of willingly and humbly yielding to anyone has become blasphemous. Instead, our culture is all about you doing you and you don't tell me what to do. Yet to be saturated in the Spirit, we have to be willing to give up our will out of reverence to God. We submit to one another, listen, we submit to one another not because we are worthless, but because He is worthy. Submitting to one another is not about you or the other, it's about His glory. It's not about us. When when we submit, We submit to one another not because others are even trustworthy. We don't get to decide, oh, well, I'm going to submit to this person because they're making good decisions, so therefore I'm going to submit to them. No, but because we can trust him, because he is faithful. Submitting to one another is not circumstantial. We don't don't get to choose. It's essential. You know it's working when you actually have accountability in your life. Listen, lack of submission reveals 
that we are full of something other than the Spirit. And it's dangerous. So, what are you submitted to? I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come up. In closing, maybe you're here today and you're, you're, you know, you're stranded spiritually. You're, maybe you've let go of that maintenance and repair and you're weary and well-doing. My question for you is, do you have AAA? Do you have AAA? Acknowledging your identity, that you are a child of light, awakening to reality, that you can arise with Christ, and that you're aligned with truth, that you are applying the protocol for proving that you can apply this in your life. Today is the day that we can make some decisions. If you don't know Christ, today is the day for salvation. And if you do and you've grown weary in well-doing, today is the day that you can call AAA. Today is the day that you can arise and shine. So I'm going to pray for us and we're going to worship. And if you need to make a decision to come forward, we're going to have some folks up here that would love to pray with you, open God's Word, and show you what God's Word says about your life. Father, thank you for this morning. Just grateful for your word, God, that we can open it. We can know your mind, God. We can know your heart. Lord, thank you for what you've done, what you've already done. God, I pray that as we search our own hearts, we ask these questions, Lord, that, um, Lord, that we can align with your truth, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.